It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. The weekend's here. It's great to have you with us, Patrick Johnson, on the Patrick Johnson Show. Chris Cook producing uh, today's effort. It's uh, nice to have you along. Much Woo! to get to, much to discuss. So thanks for being with us uh, here as we get you to the last uh, weekend without pirate football for the next several months uh, here on 94.3, the game, the flagship of the ECU Pirates. Let's lay uh, out the table for you today. We've got uh, coming up in a little bit comments from uh, Ruffin McNeil, who uh, held court this morning. Uh, regarding his return to Greenville, of course, uh, the ECU Athletics Hall of Famer, former defensive back and head coach, now uh, a staff member with Dave Doran at NC State. So uh, Coach Ruff on uh, his return and much more to uh, Pirate Nation in uh, just a little bit. Also, courtesy of the Team Boneyard NIL Collective, we're going to have Jaira Wilson in the house today. Looking forward to welcoming Jaira to the program Uh, in studio to talk about the upcoming Pirate football season. And there's a fascinating new book out about the uh, life and career of Jim Thorpe, Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe. It's available right now. David Marinus is the author, and we're going to talk to him about that book uh, coming up later on in the show also. So that kind of sets the table for today. Uh, some of the uh, other programming notes to let you know about as far as this evening goes, immediately following the PJ show here, uh, an encore presentation, Philip the Ref Pilkington kind of hosting a bridge show that'll take you from the uh, around the kind of the area for high school football tonight and then uh, a recap of our media day activities leading you to about 7.20 And then that's when coverage will begin with Croft Massey and company of J.H. Rose playing uh, tonight at Cleveland High School in Johnston County. That is a 7.30 kick between those two uh, programs with a lot of talent on the field and and two programs that have a lot that they're trying to uh, figure out as far as uh, what this season will look like for them. They've both uh, been at a championship level the last couple of seasons. A couple of other news and notes to let you know about. Congratulations to uh, ECU's new soccer coach, Gary Higgins. He got his first win of his Pirate tenure last night uh, as uh, ECU soccer defeated High Point at Johnson Stadium to Neal. Cliff Godwin announcing the 17-man incoming uh, baseball class did so on Friday. It's when ECU baseball typically likes to drop their news is on Fridays, it seems. Uh, but they've got 10 position players, seven pitchers among the players listed that are entering the program. Parker Bird listed as one of the seven infielders that is uh, coming into the Pirate program. So uh, that was really cool to see. Bird injured himself at Bath Creek last week, had to have uh, the lower part of one of his legs amputated. He just was released from ECU Health here recently. Pirates, of course, coming off the uh, 46-21 and record year in which uh, they won the regular season in the American and the tournament and also hosted the Super Regional for the first time in Greenville. So we mentioned uh, we've got Rose football for you tonight as the Rampants will try to move to 2-0, and playing at Cleveland, 7-30 here on 94.3 The Game. 
on our family of stations, uh, the Edenton opener is tonight against uh, Bertie. You can hear that game uh, coming up at 7 o'clock on Talk 1037 WTIB. Over on 94.1 WNBU Groove and Oldies, uh, you can hear Havelock as they'll look to move to 2-0, and they travel to Moorhead City to take on West Carteret. Other games of interest in the area. Pitt County, Conley, home opener for them. They're hosting Cary, who look to move to 2-0. Aiden Grifton is playing host to East Carteret tonight. South Central is hosting West Craven. Farmville Central will travel to North Lenore, a couple of uh, teams there trying to avoid the 0-2 start. North Pitt at home, they're hosting Manio. Elsewhere, it is South Creek at Riverside, Kinston at Green Central, Parrot Academy at Beargrass Charter. Newburn will be at Willow Springs tonight for a 7 o'clock kick. John Paul II at Northwest Halifax tonight. So JP2 on the road outside of Pitt County for a second straight week as they're 1-0 on the season. We got Northeastern at Rocky Mount, Tarboro at Hertford County. Northside Jacksonville is at New Hanover down in Wilmington, North Edgecombe and Southwest Edgecombe. Washington County at Southside, North Duplin at Northside Pinetown. It'll be Jacksonville at White Oak tonight in that rivalry matchup. Southwest Onslow at Richland's another Onslow County rivalry. Spring Creek visits Lejeune. Jones Senior hosts Lakewood. Pamlico County at Croatan. Northampton County is at Washington tonight. Dixon at James Keenan. Swansboro hosts South Lenore. Clinton visits Wallace-Rose Hill. Big boy matchup there, typically. It's Brunswick Academy taking on Pungo Christian Academy in Belhaven. East Duplin at Princeton over in Johnston County. Catholic at First Flight. Northern Nash at Fike. Bettingfield at Hunt. Camden County hosting Perquimans. And Gates County at Pasquotank County. So there's your high school football rundown for the area tonight. Didn't mention this yesterday. Uh, meant to, but we were live yesterday with the program and had so many other things that we were kind of running through and, and trying to get to that uh, I was remiss in, in mentioning this, but uh, this yesterday was the four-year anniversary of uh, returning to 94-3 the game, or at least being on 94-3 the game in this capacity. Uh, I was looking today, it was eight years ago today that Jay Sunalter and I debuted with uh, a show that we were doing on Tuesday nights uh, eight years ago when 94-3 the game launched. And uh, I think that was our first broadcast of Rose football as well that same week or, or at least somewhere around there. So Sonny and I were doing that, and then Jay and I are actually working together tonight. Now, I'm going to be remotely working on a uh, telecast that we're doing uh, for the Sinclair Broadcasting people in their Friday Night Rivals package. But uh, Sonny and I can't get rid of each other. So I just wanted to acknowledge those milestones yesterday. Uh, it's always kind of a hectic time of the year. It's been hectic for us with all the new things with the new network. And, uh, you know, Ben has uh, been out of town on vacation the last uh, week plus and uh, won't be back until next week. And then with me being kind of on the sidelines this week, uh, working, but, you know, quarantining, uh, it has been one of those deals where it is, uh, uh, you know, some things could you know, we, we acknowledge it, but we're not going to have a big celebration over it. I mean, I'm, I'm extremely, extremely blessed to be doing this and extremely grateful for the fact that I'm able to uh, have felt good enough this week, even though I, at times not sounding like it or even feeling all that great to be able to do a show uh, throughout the week here and, and continue to, to do that, uh, albeit quarantining. All right, uh, we'll grab a break here and we'll get into uh, our program Looking forward to this one today. It is to get you to the final weekend without pirate football here this fall uh, edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. So don't you dare go away.
online or on the go, log on to our brand new website, 943thegame.com, to listen to The Patrick Johnson Show weekdays at 5. Pirate basketball lives right here. Right here. flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. Coach Ruffin McNeil will visit ECU as a opponent for the first time in his uh, lifetime next Saturday when NC State invades Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. The nationally ranked Wolfpack and the Pirates for a high noon kick. And uh, Ruffin McNeil today was uh, in front of the media via Zoom. And Coach Ruff was uh, asked about uh, coming back to Greenville and uh, doing so as an opponent. Well, you know, that's been a question I've been asked. I don't really know. I've never been an opponent in, in this stadium as a player or a coach. So I'm sure it's going to be exciting. I know both, uh, both teams have been in great preparation for the game. Um, I know the fan base – at East Carolina very well. They'll be excited and energized. And uh, I know our players are looking forward to it. I know Coach Houston has that group looking forward to it. So it'll be exciting. Looking forward to the competitive uh, to start next Friday. But, I mean, next Saturday. But we need the rest of the week to keep keep practicing. Do you, do you expect it to be kind of an um, emotional homecoming for you? Or, or are you just going to be sort of in game mode? Well, um, you know, I didn't, didn't know. Uh, I, I last year when uh, – I was able to be inducted into the Hall of Fame there. It was my first time going back, and uh, the question was asked then. And um, I thought it was uh, – I didn't know how I would feel, but it felt it felt, it felt felt good to be back uh, doing now, doing competition time. Like I said, I've never been in this arena. Uh, I've always been the, either the player or the coach. So uh, I'm sure to be emotional, uh, but then to get straight to the competition part. Ruffin McNeil meeting with members of the media today, and Coach Ruff was asked about uh, leaving Greenville in the manner in which he did, fired from the job, and uh, just some of the emotions of that, and and was there any, uh, I don't know if hostility was the word used in the question, but certainly some hard feelings. Uh, never any, uh, you got to admit, uh, disappointment, uh, hurt. It was a, my alma mater, my, my family, Erlene Masters, my brother, everybody knows the story, my brother. Graduated from there, sister-in-law, brother, brother-in-law, my nieces. Uh, that part was tough. Made a lot of friends and family, uh, so it was tough. I mean, I'm I'm only human with that, and uh, but no, uh, uh, never, never any negative words from my part. Things happen in this business. I've been in a long time, but to say it didn't bother me, yes. But the the pain uh, or anything like that is 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 nothing but wishing them well. I know Coach Houston extremely well. Known him a long time. Uh, back to the LR days, James Madison days, and the staff. I have some of my guys on that staff uh, as well. Uh, Donica Patrick and, and and Chip Weaver. Those guys on my staff. I know most of the guys. So uh, you know, uh, it, it's a, it was a challenging time in my life. Uh, but that's what life is. You got to learn to deal with it, and and then uh, how you handle them is, I think, most important. A lot of really interesting questions were asked. We're not going to have time for all of them here, but I wanted to get to the one uh, that I asked Coach Ruff today on the Zoom call ahead of NC State's visit to uh, Greenville to take on ECU. And, of course, Ruff and McNeil now part of Dave Doran's staff with the Wolfpack. Hey, Coach Ruff. Hey, Patrick. 
I remember your first game coaching in Dowdy Ficklin, the Hail Mary. It was the Sunday before Labor Day uh, against Tulsa. That has to be something that stands out. Uh, there was the uh, UNC game with all the points scored. Uh, so I imagine as a coach, those games stand out. Could you maybe speak to some of the other memories as a coach? And then is there a particular moment or two that stands out when you played inside of Dowdy Ficklin? Well, um, as a coach, uh, a player, it was, it was great. I was learning. I had a great teammates. Pat Dye, Hall of Fame coach, was our coach. And we had great team unity and success then. But as a, as a coach, that first game you mentioned, Patrick, was big because it was the, my second stint as a head coach. I had served the interim at Texas Tech before then. But that was a big, 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 big day. Um, uh, you know, another day was when Justin Hardy broke, broke the record for receiving receptions I thought that was that was great and then the last day uh, anytime I had the, those seniors had to leave and it was our last game in Dowdy Ficklin it was tough but it was very memorable to me it was very special to me each group uh that hug that final hug of uh leading them leading them to to the next stage in their life like going from a lamb to a ram uh next the next part of them so those uh, things that come to mind quick. And then our guy, Eric Gullickson. Gully from uh, Channel 7, firing away at Ruffin McNeil. Just curious, uh, you, you mentioned the familiarity. Mike Houston and, and Coach Doran kind of talked about familiarity and, and how, you know, Coach uses you to be his, you know, eyes and ears from a different perspective, I guess. You know, how much does that familiarity play in as you guys are preparing for game week here? Well, it comes with every opponent every week, uh, every practice, really. Uh, I'm always watching. I observe everyone, coaches and players, and that helps. As far as uh, what Coach Houston does or what Donnie does, it, you know, everybody, they do a great job. The reason they, that they're going to do a great job there and they have, and he's done a great job in the past, is they know how to develop. I think the first word that comes to mind is development. Development of players, development of systems, development of schemes and programs. So we know they'll be prepared. We know how, uh, I know we've seen how Coach Houston works and operates and runs a program. So I have no doubt that uh, he, he'll have the whole entire group prepared. And then DK and I have known each other all our life. DK, Donnie Kirkpatrick, from when he was, when I was a high school coach and he was an assistant at Appalachian State. That's many years ago. Shoot, older than you guys talking on this nerd thing here. That's a long time ago. You little P-jabbers. Y'all P-jabbers when I first met <laughs> Donnie. Miss Annabelle, Miss Annabelle's punching me in my rib right now. I don't use bad like and it's not a bad word. But uh, so I've known Donnie a long time. He'll tell you the same thing. And I respect him as a man, as a coach, and great offensive coordinator. And then Trip Weaver was a was a young coach on our staff. I know he's doing a great job in the back end, as well as some other staff, Blake, defense coordinator, a lot of those guys. So I know Coach uh, uh, Houston has the group ready to go, and and uh, Coach Dorn has the same philosophy of development and and with and player led programs. So I know Coach Dorn and I spoke a lot about the Hebrews with respect they have for one another. That is legitimate and true. And Rafa McDill was asked about kind of uh, you know being ready for the the volume from the crowd at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium next Saturday and what that uh, would be like. And, and, you know, obviously the 
the just the noise of having that crowd rooting against you if you're rough and McNeil versus pulling for you and in your favor. So you saying they're not gonna be pulling for me on Saturday? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> you really you think they're all gonna be pulling? Uh, yeah, well, you know, I know exactly what the that's one of the, the strong parts and uh memor memorable uh very memorable parts about about coaching. I was asked a question earlier uh about memory, but I know they'll be excited and, and uh have a lot of energy um and ready to go. Uh and I know this one time they won't be pulling for 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 their hometown or home former player to win. Uh so uh, I'm looking forward to to that. Looking forward to the competition. I know Coach Houston. I've already mentioned a bunch. Respect for all he does. I've known him so long, and uh, we'll look. Our kids are preparing and trying to do the best we can to be ready to to to, to be prepared for a great, great battle and, and competition, and 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 on next Saturday. So I know the fans will be ready to go. That is just kind of scratching the surface of uh, that. Q&A was about 20-some-odd minutes today with Ruffin McNeil. It was really, really good. There's some fantastic stuff in there. Uh, we'll try to get to some more of that maybe next week uh, in the ramp-up to uh, ECU and NC State. But that is one of the storylines uh, that will be playing out a week from uh, tomorrow. And uh, our coverage will begin a week from tomorrow at 9 in the morning with our Pirate Game Day countdown for Bush Light. Okay. A uh, quick check of what's going on around Pirate Nation and beyond here with Chris Cook. And then we'll have Jira Wilson in the studio as part of our uh, Team Boneyard NIL Collective profile here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Thank you, Patrick. I'm Chris Cook with your 94.3 The Game Sports Update. Starting things off, the East Carolina soccer team defeated the High Point Panthers 2-0 Thursday night in Johnson Stadium for their first win of the season. A strike from Grace Doran gave head coach Gary Higgins the first win of his ECU career. Ninth-year head coach Cliff Godwin formally announced East Carolina's 17-man incoming class Friday, a group that features 10 position players and 7 pitchers. Ruffin McNeil is the special assistant to head coach Dave Doran at NC State. The former East Carolina defensive back and head football coach will make his return to campus as a visitor next Saturday. It's the first time he comes to Dowdy Ficklin Stadium as a foe with the Wolfpack. McNeil on his return to East Carolina. Well, you know, that's been a question I've been asked. I don't really know. I've never been an opponent in, in this stadium as a player or a coach. So I'm sure it's going to be exciting. I know both uh, both teams have been in great preparation for the game. Um, I know the fan base at East Carolina very well. They'll be excited and energized. And uh, I know our players are looking forward to it. I know Coach Houston has that group looking forward to it. So. It'll be exciting. Looking forward to the competitive uh, the start next Friday, but I mean next Saturday. But we need the rest of the week to keep keep practicing. East Carolina hosts number 13 NC State on September 3rd to open the regular season. Coverage begins at 9 a.m. next Saturday with Pirate Game Day Countdown. And here is your high school football slate, Havelock at West Carteret. You can hear that on 94.1 WNBU Groovin' Oldies. South Creek at Riverside, Cary and D.H. Conley. East Carteret at Aiden Grifton. West Craven at South Central. Farmville Central at North Lenore. Kinston at Green Central. Parrot Academy at Beargrass Charter. 
Newburn at Willow Springs, J.H. Rose at Cleveland for a 7.30 kickoff, and that can be heard on 94.3 The Game. Northside Jacksonville at New Hanover, Eden at Bertie, hear that on 103.7 WTIB. The Panthers are back in action tonight, taking on the Bills in Charlotte. The team is expected to play their starters for at least one full quarter against Buffalo. This will be the last preseason game of the t- of the team's play before the start of regular season on September 11th. Kickoff is at 7 o'clock p.m. tonight. Florida A&M is hosting their, is loading their charter plane in Tallahassee and will play their game against North Carolina tomorrow night at 8.15 p.m. The Rattlers will be without 20 players who are ineligible and will only play seven offensive linemen. Auburn Athletic Director Alan Green stepped down today to pursue other professional interests. And finally, South Carolina is retiring Jadavian Clowney's number seven jersey at halftime of their season opener next week against Georgia State. That'll do it for your 94.3 The Game Sports Update. More of the Patrick Johnson Show on the other side of this quick timeout right here on 94.3 The Game. More of the Patrick Johnson Show is coming up. On your flagship home of Pirate Basketball, 94.3 The Game. For over 100 years, the families at Bertie County Peanut Show here on 94.3 The Game, the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. Jaira Wilson in the studio with us, part of today's Pirate Report. And it is uh, courtesy of the Team Boneyard NIL Collective. Team Boneyard provides fans with a platform to compensate current ECU student-athletes for the use of their name, image, and likeness. 100% of your contribution to Team Boneyard will go to NIL opportunities for current ECU student-athletes. For more information and to contribute, visit teamboneyard.org. So, Jaira, welcome. It's great to have you with us. I want to go back to... You know, last year was kind of a slow start to the season, uh, the uh, early season defeats, and, and there you guys are down at Marshall early in the year. At what point did things kind of turn around for you in that game? Because I, I really think if ECU doesn't win at Marshall, maybe the team possibly doesn't win some of those games later in the year. In other words, that would have been kind of a rough start, the over start, but uh, you guys seem to turn it around to a degree with that performance up in Huntington. So how, kind of how did all that go down from your perspective? When we fell behind, I don't, honestly, I don't even really know what was going on, but I would say when we went down 17 in the middle of the fourth quarter, it was just like we worked too hard to to have a repeat of the past couple of seasons and was just like falling, falling to 0-3 would have been – that's a, a deep – hole to dig yourself out of. So it was just like, it was just like just believing each other. It was really just belief and confidence. Just had to keep playing. The game's not over till the fat lady sings. So we just kept playing and things uh, worked out in our favor. We made the plays we needed to make when we needed to make them. Then we came out with the win. Could you feel the game turning as you were out there, as, as you guys started to come back? I mean, could you sense that momentum shift? Yeah, I definitely could with the, Oh, it was 38-21. I know we scored. I can remember if we scored, got a stop, then scored again, then did the onside kick. I don't yeah. I just yeah. knew once we recovered the onside kick, it just felt like like yeah, we're meant this game's meant for us to win. 
Most definitely. Right. You yeah. can definitely feel the shift. Jaira Wilson, courtesy of the uh, Team Boneyard NIL Collective, with us on the Patrick Johnson Show. And you can go to teamboneyard.org for more information or to contribute. I, I, do you agree that maybe if you guys don't come back and win that game at Marshall, you, you probably are are not able to win games like you did in the fashion uh, at Memphis where the defense was on the field to win the game and, and with the uh, long field goal to win at Navy and, and those kind of close games? Yeah, I could definitely say I could definitely agree with you on that. Uh, going through what we went through in Marshall definitely uh, helped us in some of those close games uh, down the stretch of the season, like you said. So I would definitely say if we didn't, if Marshall didn't go how it went, who knows what could have happened in some of those fourth quarters uh, at the end of the season. Guys that are the veteran guys, yourself and others, are the ones who are kind of uh, talking to the younger guys about the install and uh, and and making the the tweaks of the calls. In other words, Coach Harrell's really put a lot on you guys to do things out there and and make the call uh, and and you know teach the defense to the guys coming up behind you. Uh, could you just discuss that a little bit because that you know seems like a lot of confidence and and, I, and, I, and I'm sure you have a lot of confidence, but I think it, it just shows how confident Coach Harrell is in this defense. Yeah, I would say. Going into year three with Coach Harrell, obviously a lot of us have been here since he's been here, so we all know the defense like the back of our hand. And it's like allowed us to play fast and also practice fast because even though we have newcomers every season, when most of the two deep already is experienced in the defense and has been here since he's been here, it's kind of easy to just bring those guys along and kind of just practice through the tweaks and some of the mistakes that they might make. And it's easier to correct them in the film room, especially or even like when you're on the field and the different group is on, it's easy to just, you know, be in another player's ear like, hey, this is what you got. This was going on. Like with the new in calls, whatever it is that we put in that day, it's just like being able to have uh, like that player to player communication with the playbook definitely helps the young guys learn vice just trying to learn from the coaches in the meeting room. I would say uh, it's easier to learn when you're learning from uh, when you're learning from your guys. Uh, Jaira Wilson is with us. He's someone that has really come on and uh, earned it all as he's made his way up uh, through the uh, ranks of arriving in Greenville and uh, getting to this point coming into 2022. Someone that the uh, Pirate defense will rely on uh, very heavily in this uh, upcoming season. Who has stood out to you uh, in the uh, secondary, maybe not just uh, at the, in the safety spot, any of the corners, but uh, who are the guys on the defensive side of the ball uh, that have stood out to you uh, in the preseason so far? I like what I've seen from uh, J.D. Lampley. He's a uh, he's actually out of high school. I like what I've seen from him. And I like what I've seen from uh, IBM. Isaiah Brown-Murray, he's a corner. He enrolled in uh, – he enrolled out of high school early back in the spring. I like what I've seen from him a lot too. And also like what I've seen from uh, Demel Hickman. He's a, a corner. Yeah. He came in with me, but – like I said, he's finally like getting his chance to play and stuff, and um, I feel like he's taking advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, he was um, uh, out of if I'm not mistaken, out of the uh, Charlotte area, maybe. Yeah, he's from uh, Charlotte. Was yeah, yeah, and uh, was with uh, Butler, one of the programs out there, and it's kind of worked his way up. That, that's the thing. A lot of guys like yourself. I mean, you came in and you guys have put the work in and it really earned it. I mean, it's a, it's a real. Um, I guess you would say kind of uh, workmanlike defense. I mean, this is a very blue-collar group, it seems like, Jaira. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we got Jaira Wilson with us uh, here. 
Uh, you obviously have gone against a an offense that returns quite a bit. Who's uh, who's in going against that offense? Who, who's uh, kind of turned your head on offense? I mean, obviously there's the known ones like uh, Keaton and Rajay. They obviously look look real good in camp. Uh, Houghton look Houghton look real good in camp to me too. He's definitely. Yeah, I feel like he probably better than what he was last year, if you ask me. Just based yeah. on what I've seen from him, like just mentally and like his decision making. What do you think of playing NC State uh, in the opener? I mean, there's there's that rivalry factor. They're coming in with a lot of preseason hype. What what do you say about playing the Wolfpack? I feel like we couldn't have anybody better coming in. Um, obviously, they, since I've been here, they've beaten us twice. Uh, they have our number right now. And I, I'm glad we we get another opportunity to play. I feel like we own one. That's just me. And we they finally come in here. The last two times we played them, we went there and pretty and they pretty much blew us out twice. So I'm I'm glad I'm glad they're coming in here. Probably gonna be a sellout yeah. crowd, full stadium. You got, I feel like you can ask for anything better. And they I think they like ranked thirteen, something like that. Yeah. You had uh uh, you have a you have a ring already in your uh, lifetime, uh, in your young athletic career, uh, with basketball, right? Yeah, it's I won. Like I won a state. I won a state championship in high school. Yeah, how was that being on that team uh, and not losing a game? That's a pretty hard thing to do. Thirty games and, and winning all of them and going to the state title. What what are your memories of all that back at the Northside back in the day? Um, that was definitely that was definitely a great school year. That was my junior year, the 2016 to 17 school year. Yeah, it's, uh-huh. it's crazy because we went to states for football that season, but we lost. But then, and then we turned around and uh, went back for basketball. Obviously, as you said, was undefeated. It was definitely great because a lot of the guys on that team, we all pretty much grew up together, played AAU together. Went, some of us went to the same middle school, middle schools. So like just finally being able to come together and accomplishing that goal because that's the goal we had laid out for that season, and like. Northside, the basketball program has always been good. Like, but it's just we always would come up short, whether it was like the game before states or maybe two games before states. So to finally be able to that season go undefeated, get to the state championship and win it was I feel like it was a great thing for the city. It was also the first uh, state championship, men's basketball state championship in county history. So like, yeah, it's just it was like a goal we've always had, and to get it done was probably it's one of the best things I've done in my life thus far. No, that that's pretty impressive because Jacksonville High's had some good teams in the past, and White Oak had a few good basketball teams. So that's that's uh, it's pretty remarkable that that was the first one uh, in in state history uh, for for basketball. Let me let me ask you this: uh, Who did you pattern your game after in hoops? Like who if if you if we watched you play hoops, we'd say. Jaira Wilson reminds me of this player. My favorite player in the NBA right now, well, Paul George is my favorite player. LeBron my favorite of all time. I know it's kind of right. like confusing because they both are playing right now, but I like Paul George. I well, buy, you, can like, you can like both. Yeah, That's I have, I have right. his shoes, my favorite player. I would probably say uh, Paul George. Okay. You have his shoes, the PG shoes. You have those? Since I wore him since my senior year of high school. His first, his first oh, okay. shoe, his first signature shoe he came out with. I have. Who has the strongest shoe game in the entire football roster on it for ECU? Shoe game. Who's got the strongest one? Mm, probably Sandre Mims, the D line, okay. the D lineman. Yeah. 
Is that right? Why yeah. does he have such a strong shoe game? What what's what about it makes it so strong? Because he, he has a lot of he has a lot of exclusive shoes, and it's kind of like he goes out his way to like collect shoes. It's just what he likes to do. So, okay, I definitely say now probably you, him. Now you say you've worn the Paul George shoes for that. Like, do you wear them like out on the town or? Like, oh no, I only I just hooping them. Oh, okay, all right, very good. I I got you. So yeah, you still I just wear all right. I still I wear them to the five years later. I still play in them, and they're comfortable. They so that's are. why that's why you wear them. Yeah, yeah. That's, they're broken in. That's why you wear them. Jira Wilson, give me the uh, goals as you see them, Jira, for the Pirate team this year, and then for uh, for you individually. What are some of your goals? Uh, for the Pirates, I like we won. We won the conference championship. Uh, plain and simple. We feel like honestly, we feel like we could have got there last year if we didn't let some of those games slip, like Houston and UCF. Yeah. But definitely to uh, win the conference championship. And for me personally, I don't really care about, like, all the accolades and stuff. I just want to do enough uh, to get a shot at the NFL, whatever that, whatever comes with that and whatever that takes. That's Jira Wilson, courtesy of the Team Boneyard NIL Collective for Pirate Athletics. Uh, visit teamboneyard.org for more information or to contribute Stay tuned. Uh, another uh, fascinating athlete profile, this time, though, a book about the uh, life, the fascinating life of Jim Thorpe. I'll tell you about it next. There's a new book out about Jim Thorpe. I've always just considered uh, him to be just a fascinating uh, study and, and a fascinating topic and a fascinating athlete. Uh, and uh, we've got the author of uh, the book uh, that is out now. Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe. And uh, David Marinus is uh, with us here on uh, the Patrick Johnson Show. David, how are you? Thank you for uh, doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee on the book tour. And oh, I'm happy to <laughs> yeah. Pretty good town to be in. Pretty good town to be in on the, uh, on the book <laughs> yeah. tour. Uh, so as you're going around uh, talking with folks about this, um, you know, this book, as you say, kind of is, covers the life of Jim Thorpe. Uh, it, it's a fascinating, fascinating life. Uh, and, and I think he, you know, when we talk about the goats in, in athletics, he should be right up there with the all-timers. Uh, and it is on a lot of lists, but I don't think it's, it's just desserts. Uh, what kind of led you to writing this book? Because, uh, you know, the, the, the story's been told. I guess uh, there, there were some new things to, to kind of write about, I suppose. Um, yeah, but what I what I look for, I sort of consider this Patrick the third book in my trilogy of sports biographies. The first was Vince Lombardi, uh-huh. uh, you know, the great football coach, and second was Roberto Clemente, the great ball player, and now Jim Thorpe. And in each case, what I look for is first a really dramatic story uh, built around athletics, and then using that story as a way to illuminate American sociology and history. So for Lombardi, for instance, it was not just this fabulous uh, Green Bay Packers football coach, but also a way to study leadership mm-hmm. and the mythology of competition and success in American life, what it takes and what it costs. For Clemente, it was not just this beautiful ball player, but also, you know, so many athletes are called heroes, but they're not really. But Clemente really was. He died trying to deliver humanitarian aid to Nicaragua after an earthquake. So then comes Jim Thorpe. You know, uh, it's hard to compare athletes from different generations because of training and diet and 
equipment. But Thorpe did things that were unparalleled before or since. You know, winning two gold medals in the decathlon and pentathlon, um, being an all-American football player, the first great professional football player, the first president of what would become the National Football League, and a major league baseball player. That trifecta has never been done. Um, But then I saw the chance to write about all of that through the lens of the Native American experience. Mm -hmm. Jim Polk was born in the Sac and Fox Nation in Oklahoma, and he endured many things that that almost all Native Americans have endured over the course of his lifetime. Specifically, because, you know, as as someone who is Native uh, American uh, and, and, you know, continues to try to research and delve more into that a lot this summer, uh, you know, I'm really... I'm really kind of, you know, curious from your perspective. I mean, I, there there seem obvious things that he had to overcome. But uh, specifically, what do you write about here that, that is most striking? Um, well, it, it mostly, you know, sort of the center of the book takes place at the Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. That's where Jim Thorpe rose to fame. That's where he was the All-American football player and from which he went to Stockholm to win the gold medals. Mm-hmm. So in one sense, uh, Carlisle was the springboard for him. But to understand the Indian boarding school system is to understand sort of the dehumanizing process of that. The motto of that school was kill the Indian, save the man, which meant that we have to assimilate and acculturate Native Americans so much that they lose their language, their heritage, their religion, cut their hair, dress them in the uniform of the U.S. Cavalry. All of that was what was imposed on Jim Thorpe and and 8,000 other students who went through Carlisle, which was the flagship boarding school uh, run by the U.S. government during that period. Uh, It's great to have uh, with us here the author of this uh, book, uh, David Marinus, uh, Path Lit by uh, Lightning, The the Life of Jim Thorpe. He had to surrender his uh, gold medals because of, of playing what was it yeah. football or, or it was, I guess it would be minor league baseball. Cause obviously he played college football first. Yeah. It was in your state. It was uh, for two summers. He played baseball in the Eastern Carolina league Okay, uh, for about two bucks a game or $30 a, a month. But what's important to understand is that literally hundreds of college athletes were playing summer baseball in that era, but most of them were doing it under aliases. Mm. Dwight, I, Power, for example, played under the name Wilson in the Kansas State League. There were so many aliases in the Eastern Carolina League that the joke was it was called the Pocahontas League because everybody was named John Smith. Right. But Jim Thorpe played under the name Jim Thorpe. He never tried to hide it. Um, and, uh, you know, when after he won the gold medals is when the story broke that he had been doing it. Although, actually, newspapers in North Carolina, from Charlotte to Raleigh to all the small towns in that league, had, been, had his name in the paper every day for two seasons. So it, was no, it shouldn't have been any surprise. Um, I think he was a scapegoat after the Olympics. And one of the essential parts of my book is that people – in power knew exactly what Jim Thorpe was doing. And that included his coach at Carlisle, the famous Pop Warner, mm-hmm. um, knew what Thorpe was doing, but then pretended he didn't to save his own reputation, as did James E. Sullivan, uh, the head of the Amateur Athletic Union and the and the American Olympic Committee then. Those two people were mostly responsible for sending back Thorpe's medals, but they knew exactly what he'd been doing all along. 
Sullivan was on the board of advisors for the Carlisle Athletic Association. He, how was he thought of in, in the strata of sports celebrities for the time? For the time, he was voted the best athlete of the first half of the 20th century. That means more than Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, wow. Jack Dempsey, um, Jesse Owens. It was Jim Thorpe. He was considered the best. Um, Grantland Rice, the famed um, sports writer of that golden era of sports writing, always proclaimed that Jim Thorpe was the best athlete. Um. When you look at uh, kind of the life after sports, is that where things maybe get a little uh, star-crossed in a sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, he did sports until he was 45 years old. He was the player coach for a uh, traveling baseball team called Harjo's Indians from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and they played against all the great Negro League teams and other semi-pro traveling teams around the country. But, yes, after that, for the last 20 years of his life, uh, he struggled. You know, he struggled with alcohol. Um, he struggled with, with family troubles. Um, he went from state to state. I, I document he lived in 20 states. Oh, wow. um, he had various jobs, including at one point digging ditches in Los Angeles during the Depression. Um, but here's the thing. There's a way to look at that as a tragedy. But in, in some sense it was, but I also think it was an act of perseverance. He kept going no matter what was in his way, whether the obstacles were of his own doing or society's. Thorpe never quit and kept working and trying to get, get what he needed. David, you know, you, you mentioned he was the first half of the uh, century best athlete considered by his peers. And then you yep. rattled off, you know, some names there that we still hear nowadays. Somebody's the Babe Ruth of this or they're the Babe Ruth of, of that or they're Michael Jordan of this or, or, or what have you. Why is Thorpe not, you know, kind of in that breath when we're calling someone? Why, why couldn't someone be the Jim Thorpe of something, in other words? Well, you know, he's a little earlier. I mean, he, he, you know, he gained his fame in 1912. That's 110 years well, ago. that's true, yes. <laughs> there was no uh, social media hyping him up no, at that point, yeah. Uh, you know, and there's no money, right? Right, yeah. I mean, that's of, of why he struggled later. I mean, you know, he wasn't getting $240 million to play a sport. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a good question. I, I think part of it might have had to do with the fact that he was, uh, his best sport was football at a time before. I mean, pro football in that era was kind of a ragtag sport. You know, it was way below um, college football, Major League Baseball, boxing, right. golf, tennis. So I think that has something to do with it. Um, and people tend to know of him because of the Olympic medals that were taken away from him, but they don't know what a great uh, decathlete he was, you know, before those medals were taken away. He, it's impossible to compare um, scores of decathlons because the scoring system is always changing. Mm-hmm. But what you can say is that he won the decathlon by a larger margin than anybody before or since. I, I do want to come back and, and kind of wrap with uh, a couple of Jim Thorpe things, but I do want to seize on something that you talked about with Vince Lombardi and uh, kind of talking about leadership and the concept of, of that. You know, it's it's fascinating. There's there's one of the better people I worked for, uh, albeit a brief time in, in the broadcast industry, kind of cited a lot of Lombardi, uh, I guess, his his 
you know, beliefs and quotes and what have you. And, you know, I'm sure some people found it cheesy. I found it fascinating because we wasn't, it was kind of applying things that were really, uh, really germane to the situation he was taking over. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. If you would mind speaking to that for a little bit and just how, you know, even though it's several decades ago, a lot of those, the, the basis in leadership is so applicable to today. At least in oh, my absolutely. mind it is. No, I, I, I think that's still true. Lombardi um, still is relevant. Um, but sometimes he's misapplied. You know, the most famous uh, quote of Lombardi's is winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. But he didn't say it. Uh, you know, he, his belief was that, that the striving for excellence was the only thing. Mm-hmm. He was much harder on his teams when they – um, won but played poorly than if they played well and lost. Um, he was a master psychologist. You know, another um, statement of, you know, that Henry Jordan, one of his players, said, Lombardi treats us all alike like dogs. It's kind of funny, but it wasn't true at all. He knew exactly what what buttons to push in every one of his players, which ones to be tough on, which ones to encourage. Um, he was very, very smart psychologically. And he was also incredibly fair. Um, his African American players said that that no one before, you know, no other coach they ever played with was so fair to them. You know, when, when they came to, when he got to Green Bay, he went to all the bars in this small town in northern Wisconsin and said, "If I find you discriminating against any of my black players, you're off limits for everybody." Um, he, he just had a real sensibility about him, and he was tough, but he also. Um, always leavened that with love. So his players might be angry at him on a daily basis because he was pushing them so hard, but they loved him in the end and in the long run because they knew it was all for their own betterment. It's kind of the hallmark, it seems like, of, of any coach, really. I mean, a great one. Uh, a great yeah. one, but some misimply it and think you just have to be tough and don't understand the yeah. other part yeah. of that quotient. But the really, really good ones. Uh, yep. You know, the, the players say that about them, uh, inevitably. Uh, we have uh, David Marinus uh, with us. Uh, Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe. The book is out, available now. Uh, Amazon, wherever you need to uh, you buy your books or however you consume them, you can you can get this. I think this would be a fantastic uh, fall read, uh, undoubtedly. Uh, as you kind of, you know, just, and again, a fascinating study of the life of Thorpe is, I, I think, just, I mean, what an athlete, uh, it seemed like on uh, in the field of competition, there was not anything he, he couldn't do. What would you yep. want people to kind of take away from, you know, the biography? Uh, I mean, with the Lombardi, that, that lesson, you, you articulated that so well, some of those those lessons. What would be, you know, kind of the thing you might want folks to consider when reading this? Uh, everybody will draw their own conclusions or, or take away their own well, interesting things. Yeah. But, yeah, what would you what would you hope? You're so right, Patrick. People take out of books what what their own life experience is to some extent. So I hope two things. One is, this is just a hell of a story. I mean, (laughs) uh, that's the main thing. I want people to to enjoy reading about this incredible athlete. Um, And secondly, I want them to sort of see the parallels between what Jim Thorpe accomplished and what he endured and how he survived with uh, his people with the Native American population in this country. I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned about that. Hey, great stuff. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I really appreciate it. I hope everyone will go out and buy the book and uh, continued uh, success on the tour. And uh, 
if you're in the Nashville area this weekend, David might jump up on a stage and do a little karaoke. I can't promise it. I'm only going to encourage it. David, thank you. <laughs> Patrick, great talking with you. Thanks to uh, David uh, uh, Marinus for being on with us uh, and pick up the book. Uh, also, Jira Wilson, and we appreciate the time we had with Ruffin McNeil. Thanks also to Chris Cook for uh, producing today's show. Stay tuned when we uh, return. We'll have uh, a recap of uh, ECU Media Day for you, an encore presentation of uh, some of that content, uh, plus Philip the Ref Pilkington will run down everything you need to know about what is uh, going on around the scene in high school football tonight. All of that when we uh, come back after uh, this time out, uh, leading you into Rose Football tonight, 7.30 against Cleveland. We'll see you Monday on the Patrick Johnson Show with Chip Patterson. Have a great and safe weekend.